I did drive into the parking lot and uh, have my wallet ready to get a ham and egg sandwich, but uh, there was no food truck out here, so uh, we'll skip the ham and egg sandwich for the morning. Well, you know, um, and Pastor Adam can, um, can attest to this, because Adam and I worked together for 10 years. Um, I'm not a fan of technology, um, and uh, my daughter and her husband could tell you that too. Uh, It's really great, but I think sometimes it drives us. Uh, We're going to, that was your Old Testament scripture reading. My sermon this morning is actually based on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, we're going to, we're going to, that we're going to attribute that to a technology glitch, and it may have been me, because I'm not the best with the, commu- with the computer, uh, but uh, many congregations have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading, so we're going to say that was the Old Testament reading, and <clears throat> I'm going to uh, read to you the verses from which I'll be preaching from, and I'll be referring to those uh, off and on throughout the sermon. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read uh, five verses to you. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope, to you, and our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Uh, Philip Riken is the uh, president of Wheaton College, and uh, he wrote a book, When Trouble Comes. And in that book, he quotes former Wheaton College provost Stan Jones about Stan's experience with a debilitating disease. Provides a helpful perspective on all the questions about our suffering that we find difficult or even impossible to answer. Let me read that quote from the fellow who was suffering from this debilitating disease. He says, Long ago I read a book about suffering, and the author made a point that I have had to return to time and time again. He said, Most of our why questions about suffering are ultimately unanswerable. God does not seem to be in the business of answering the why questions, and most of our philosophical responses to the question of suffering amount to various forms of taking God off the hook for the problem of suffering. But this author pointed out that God doesn't seem to be interested in getting off the hook. In fact, the answer of God in Jesus Christ to the problem of suffering is not to get off the hook at all, but rather to impale himself on the hook of human suffering with us in the very midst of our suffering. And, and Riken observes on that uh, quote by Stan Jones, when trouble comes and places a giant question mark over our existence, we should remember Jesus and the empathy of the cross. 
I, I really like that phrase, the empathy of the cross. Um, Paul said it this way this morning in those few verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ, he did so on the cross, flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort comes. If you read uh, 2 Corinthians, one of, the, one of the key words that Paul uses to the church in Corinth is comfort or encouragement. The Greek word means called to one side to help. The verb is actually used 18 times in this letter, and the noun 11 times. That's almost 30 times that Paul uses the word either encouragement or comfort in this letter. In fact, in, in the first 11 verses of this first chapter, the words comfort or consolation are repeated 10 times. Friends, we're not talking about sympathy here because sympathy can weaken us instead of strengthen us. God does not coddle us or reward us in some way to distract our attention from our trouble. God puts strength into your heart and my heart so we can face our trials and triumph over them. Our English word comfort comes from two Latin words, means, and, and they mean with strength. God can encourage us by his word and through his Holy Spirit, but sometimes God uses other believers to give us the encouragement we need. In times of suffering, most of us are prone to think only of ourselves and to forget others. You know, I'm really good at giving myself a pity party. I have given myself a lot of pity parties in my life, you know. And what happens then is we become cisterns instead of channels. Now, I realize that when I use the word system, cistern, most of us with gray hair or no hair understand what that word means, but maybe some of the younger people don't understand what that means. A cistern is a, is a big tank. Uh, where we live in Lancaster County, many Amish have cisterns, big tanks from which they draw their water for uh, their cattle, for their own private home use. Uh, I know Janet and I, when we lived in Virginia, looked at a, at a house that uh, the way they got their water was through a big cistern that a tank truck would come and fill up, and it was underneath the front porch, and every two weeks the tank truck would come. That's a cistern. When we have pity parties for ourselves and we kind of, kind of, you know, oh, poor Jim, nobody likes me, you know, we kind of become cisterns instead of channels of God love, God, God's love. And, and one reason for trials is so that you and I might be learned to be channels of comfort and blessing and be those channels that can encourage others. Because God has encouraged us, we can encourage them. In my first pastorate, I received a call from a young couple one night requesting a visit that very night. They said, Pastor Jim, you've you got to come over. You've got to come over. It, it, the, the guy sounded pretty distraught, so I arrived at the house and was told by the young couple that the mother had found out that very day that the child in her womb, which was soon to be born, 
was no longer living. The mother was scheduled to go to the hospital next day to birth the deceased baby. It was a very, very sad situation. But as I thought a little bit, I had been there in the congregation long enough that I recalled a Christian couple in the congregation who then had four grown, healthy children telling me about losing a set of twins very early on in their marriage. I gave them a call and asked them to visit this young couple a few weeks after the funeral, which was a very difficult funeral, by the way. You want us to visit them? What are we going to say? I said, I'm not sure what you're going to say. But the minute you walk in through their front door, you have credibility because God saw you through your trial and your tribulation. God comforted you in your loss. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. After the visit, both couples told me how special it was for them to be together that evening, and especially during this time of loss. And by the way, that young couple went on to have other children. Paul makes it clear that we do not need to experience exactly the same trial in order to be able to share God's encouragement. If we have experienced God's comfort, then Paul says in verse 4, we can comfort those in any trouble. Of course, if we have experienced similar trials, they can help us identify, like that couple I told you about, they can help us identify better with others and know better how they feel, but our experiences cannot alter the comfort of God. That remains sufficient and efficient no matter what our own experiences may have been. Later in 2 Corinthians, and some of you probably know this particular verse pretty well, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us an example of this principle. Paul says there in in chapter 12, in verse 7, that God gave him a thorn in my flesh. It was some kind of physical suffering that was constantly with him. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was, nor do we necessarily need to know. There's been a lot of speculation about it. What we do know is this, that Paul experienced the grace of God and then to this day still shares his encouragement with you and me. No matter what your trial may be, friends, as Jesus told Paul in verse 9 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a promise you and I can claim this morning. And we would not have that promise. We would not have that promise if Paul would not have suffered. You know, uh, the subject of human suffering is not easy to understand. There are mysteries to the working of God that we will never grasp on this side of heaven. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin and rebellion. Read the book of Jonah. Sometimes we suffer to keep us from sinning. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. 
Suffering can perfect our character. Read Romans 5. And it can help us share in the character of God. Read Hebrews 12. But suffering can also help us to minister to others. In every church, and I'm sure in this congregation of faith, there are mature, mature saints of God who have suffered and experienced God's grace, and they are great encouragers in this congregation. And I'm sure if I gave you an opportunity, you could shout out some names right now. Paul experienced trouble not as punishment for something he had done, but listen closely, as preparation for something he was yet going to do, and that was minister to the needs of others. 2 Corinthians verse 1, verse 7 makes it clear that there was always the possibility that the situation might be reversed. The Corinthian believers might go through trials and receive God's grace so that they might encourage others. God sometimes calls a church family to experience special trials in order that God might bestow on them his abundant grace. God's gracious encouragement helps us if we learn to endure. Patient endurance is an evidence of faith. If we can become bitter or critical of God, if we rebel instead of submit, then, friends, our trials work against us instead of for us. The ability to endure difficulties patiently without giving up, friends, is a mark of spiritual maturity. I've been using some thoughts from Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I like what he has to say. He says, God has to work in us before God can work through us. Listen to that. God has to work in us before God can work through us. It's much easier for us to grow in knowledge than to grow in grace. Learning God's truth and getting it into our heads is one thing, but living God's truth and getting it into our character is quite something else. God always prepares us for what he's preparing for us. God always prepares us for what he's preparing for us. And part of that preparation, friends, for you and for me, is suffering. In this light, verse 5 from our scripture reading is very important. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Jesus our comfort overflows. Even Jesus had to suffer. And when we suffer in the will of God, we are sharing in the sufferings of the Savior, the empathy of the cross, if you will. I'm not talking about the suffering Jesus did for our sins. I'm talking about, as Paul says in Philippians 3, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. There is a companionship to suffering. It can draw us closer to Jesus and to his people, like those two couples I was talking to you about probably didn't know each other too well. But after that evening, they know each other real well. If we start to wallow in our self-pity, suffering will create isolation instead of involvement. And we become cisterns, not channels. Um, 
all around us, our culture is looking for new and innovative ways to help people, to help make people more empathetic. Uh, Ben Tarnoff is the writer and co-founder of Logic Magazine, and he wrote in an article, Empathy, the latest gadget Silicon Valley wants to sell you. Now listen, by creating an immersive and interactive virtual environment, a virtual reality headset can quite literally put you in somebody else's shoes. Text, image, or video offers only partial views of a person's life. But with VR, you can get inside their head, and this high-fidelity simulation, the argument goes, will make us better people by heightening our sensitivity to the suffering of others. It will make us more compassionate, more connected, and ultimately more human, in the words of the virtual reality artist Chris Milk. By lending you the eyes and ears of someone suffering, Tech helps you to develop a greater sense of responsibility for them. You feel compelled to act. This is a connectivity not merely as a technical concept, but as a moral one. Uh, You heard me at the outset say that I have issues with technology. I'm I'm not so sure a virtual reality headset. I'm not so sure this morning you should all go out and buy an empathy machine. Uh, if you come home and say, hey, Pastor Adam, Pastor Jim told us to go out and buy an empathy machine. And uh, so we're going to buy one for the church here, and you can come in and use it every Wednesday night, okay? I, I, I don't think that's what Paul was talking about when he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Uh, I have pastored, as Bonnie said, in four different congregations over 40 years uh, that, I've, that I've been in ministry. And, and one of the exciting developments, at least for me and those pastorates, is to see persons called into full-time ministry. And, and I've had the opportunity to, to to mentor a number of them, and they're actually scattered all over the United States now. A couple weeks ago, I preached an ordination sermon for one of them, which was just an exciting Sunday. It was, it was a, just a neat, neat time. But two weeks ago, I received a call from one of these young men that I, one of these young men that I had mentored 20 years ago, and he's now pastoring in the Midwest. And he was really struggling with ministry in his current church. He had been there for 10 years plus, and some exciting developments had taken place in that church. Now, for sure, COVID-19 has exacerbated some of the challenges that all pastors have faced. It's exacerbated many challenges that you and I have faced, but he's not the first pastor that I have mentored that has called me to talk about the struggles over the last two years. I did a lot of listening that evening. I prayed with him over the phone and told him I'd get back to him after some thought and prayer. And as I reflected on his words and on his situations, I realized that it was because of some of the challenges that I had faced in ministry and how the Lord had seen me through them that I could respond to him with what I had hoped would be words of wisdom. Don't get me wrong. I have been blessed to have served in the four congregations that I have served in. 
I have been blessed. I have just been blessed with some super Christian people who uh, many times, I think, ministered to me more than I ministered to them. But there are challenges. I would, I would lie to you if I wouldn't say that there were a couple Monday mornings that I wanted to get on the computer and write my resignation letter, you know. And, and you all know that. You get put, what did we have here this morning, 100 people, put 100 people together, and you don't think they're gonna, you're going to have challenges? You think you're all going to agree on chocolate ice cream? I don't think so. You know, you're going to have challenges. You're going to get at it with each other sometimes. So there have been a few Monday mornings when I, uh, I had a pity party for myself. But uh, these challenges, as I thought a little bit, I thought of Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians. And, and they really prepared me for how I responded to this brother in Christ. And um, I called him back, and we had another long conversation, and I, I prayed with him again. But I continued to think of Paul's words here in 3 and 4, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I, I believe God doesn't want us to go out and buy an empathy machine. I believe God wants each of you here today and, and some of you may be experiencing some of those trials. But I think he wants each of us here today to be channels of God's love and mercy because God's grace has been sufficient to see you and to see me through some of these challenges. Don't wallow in self-pity. It's probably okay to give yourself a pity party every once in a while, but don't wallow in self-pity. See it as God preparing you for something he's preparing you for. Look at it at that, as that way and uh, be a channel of his love and mercy for somebody else who might be experiencing the same trials. Would you please pray with me? God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this congregation of faith and their ministry to each other and to this community. Pray special blessing upon the Vacation Bible School this week, Lord. What an exciting outreach to the community. What an exciting way to share with children the love of Jesus. Then we pray for each of us here this morning, Lord. Some of us are facing some of those big trials. Might be a physical illness. Might be an emotional challenge. Something at work. Uh, something at school. We pray, Lord, that we would see those challenges as opportunities for you to minister to us so that in turn, somewhere down the road, we can be a channel of your love, your grace, and your mercy. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The closing hymn is from the Blue Hymnal, and I would invite you to stand and let us uh, sing together hymn number 362. Let, let, let's use it as a prayer. My... Uh, my Lutheran church, I grew up Lutheran, my Lutheran church choir director when I was a kid used to sing, don't, used to say, don't just sing the words, mean the words. I can still remember her saying that. That's pretty amazing since that's 60 years ago. So uh, let's stand and uh, use this as a prayer, please.